Welcome to The Rant. I'm your host, Herman James, and on today's episode, Daniel Backpack Baron and I will be talking about Trump and immigration. For Roy, Daniel, or how do you prefer to go about that? Daniel's fine, but my other name is uh, Backpack from living out of a backpack for years. <laughs> now, how, how many years do you have to take in order to get that kind of a nickname? Well, it's really seven years, and I've been doing talk shows. I was on Voices of Global Film. It's called Win for News now is the main name. But, uh, you know, it's just years and years of travel and learning and trying to be more like a Yoda. There's a quest to be a Yoda type of person. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. Now, what struck you to be that kind of individual and go on a Yoda quest and backpacking all over the world? Well, a lot of it is just striving to learn and critical thinking and really trying to understand a lot of it is my upbringing for my parents. My dad was a professor uh, in biochemistry, so he did cancer research. And then my mom started Midway Drug and Alcohol Rehab Center in Knoxville, Tennessee, which still goes on today. So really, really smart parents who always was more about education, learning, uh, growing. And I've tried to live the way the best I can. Actually, we're simulcasting this on the YouTube channel, which is called Win News Network. Well, it's Win for News, Win number four news. And Alina is actually uh, videoing it here in Sao Paulo. So this is my first interview. Actually, the first interview I've done outside of the U.S. So it's, it's uh, great to have on your show. Uh, if you want to say your show name, like we can uh, talk about your show, too. And how did you get involved with doing shows as well? We're both on the No Phony Podcast Network, which is great. Absolutely, uh, we're both yeah. both on there. And, uh, yeah, uh, well, I was looking to do something more uh, fundamental with my time. So uh, instead of me spending all of my money on building cars, which me being 34, I think I'm on car 21. So I decided to kind of look at things that I could do for fun and kind of have some enjoyment of doing it. And I started listening to uh, podcasts and started listening to like passive money income podcasts and everything started saying to Put this on the internet, what you are already doing, and enjoy yourself and having fun with it. And so what turned out being a lot of me and my friends really just bitching a lot about the world around us and the people that we encounter on a daily basis and that kind of being a frustration, I decided to put that on the air. And since we all take long tangents and rants, started calling it The Rant with Herman James and Friends. So we have my local friends here, and I've got you here in Sao Paulo. I've got a whole bunch of other random people that are nice enough and willing enough to come and join me and kind of just talking about a lot of daily events, kind of what we're all seeing and going through on a regular basis, and putting a comical but satirical kind of our insights on it and having a good time while we're doing it. That's great. I really appreciate all that you do. And one thing is I always try to encourage people to do podcasts and get out there and do talk shows and try to meet people from homeless. And some of my experiences are, I've got some great interviews with CEOs, celebrities, even uh, four-star generals, uh, interviewed Lieutenant General Flynn uh, a couple of years ago and oh, wow. some other, uh, all walks of life. So I've got this huge Rolodex of people in my mind that I can, you know, go back to and think of how do I insert this into any conversation? And so it has opened up where I can interview people from a biochemist to uh you know, any background, really. Just I've really walked in the shadows of a lot of Yodas. So uh, I've also written several books. One's called Looking Glass Shattered. It's about the programming. And so people can take a deep dive look at 
there's so much programming for individual, family, community, and country levels and United Nations level. What programming is all bullshit and what, what do we need to get rid of and what do we need to uh, shatter away like our looking glass? I just turned 50, so we're about the same age. And I've seen a lot of changes in the last 50 years, some good and some not good. And I love technology. I was actually just doing some tweets tonight on the Daniel Roy Barron uh, account. And uh, it's just interesting. You know, I've, I do a lot of that and it's kind of a labor of love. I learn a lot from social media as much as I do from other people because I get comments all the time. I actually just got a comment from one guy. He didn't like that. I just took a picture of his tweet. So I deleted that and then I just retweeted his tweet instead. He was just real. I don't know what difference that makes, but he felt that was important. So I just deleted that tweet and started over again. <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure why. Social okay, media is a, a fickle beast. You've got people that are opinionated about getting their own information out there, but don't steal my information that I put up to a free website or a free uh, platform. It's Steal your own ideas, put your own out there. I have never understood people that get upset about voluntarily putting up their own information and then other people using that information or reusing it, not even stealing it, saying it's their own, but just saying, you know, Daniel said this and look what he said. Well, I did say that. I did put it out there. So yeah, that, that's what happens. But people get very offended by that for some reason. Yeah, just a picture. I mean, credit for all that he did. For the tweet so yeah it's just one of those things people can be fickle about certain things <laughs> so that's life you gotta love it man yeah. people uh everyone's got a view it's not always the best view but it is a view yeah that's true and uh there's a quote some days people uh who peed in your wheaties i think that's one of my favorite who peed in your favorite <laughs> cereal box this morning some people just have days like that <laughs> somebody peed in their stuff but uh you know, I'm really proud of a lot of the things I've done. And, you know, I, I tell people, honestly, a lot of what I'm doing is uphill. Like, my family hasn't really supported a lot of my, uh, I haven't become this huge thing from what I've done. You know, like, I've, I've written books, I've done these videos, and my dad passed away a couple of years ago. And how I've been able to survive is I get some money from my dad's estate from when he died. But I'm honest with people because it's, it's a, it probably makes me want to do all of this even more because of my family's uh, approach to me. And, you know, and I know eventually if I keep, you know, everybody says live your passion, live your dreams. That We have big dreams for Win for News to eventually be able to hire talk show hosts all around the world and to hire. And that's part of this international travel. Uh, just got to, I was in Tijuana, uh, Mexico, like uh, for a week, uh, the first, about the first of August. And I got here on August the 13th uh, to Sao Paulo, and it's been incredible learning uh, to go outside the U.S. And the reason why I didn't leave the U.S. earlier than seven years is just because I couldn't afford the, even the passport. I've been living like that, real basic, where I didn't even have the $140 to get a passport. So I loved it when I finally got it, and I've already had some travels. I had a job in London for three months uh, about 15 years ago, and then I've been to like Israel, and I've been to some other places but it's been a long gap since I've been outside of the country. So Tijuana was incredible. There's some great interviews with, uh, there's some veterans who lived in America for 50 years who were deported. Yeah. And some of the people getting deported don't even speak Spanish. They, they really are hundred percent Americans. And so that's a huge story in and of itself. And then did some videos where the homeless in Tijuana. So, I uh, saw some incredible stuff in Tijuana. Plus I wasn't killed and I wasn't robbed. <laughs> I was really, really worried. I'll, I'll admit, I was scared about my safety, uh, but it wasn't as scary as what I thought. Is you know, when you read the articles, and I learned some things of why 
Tijuana gets a really bad uh, rap, and there's some specific reasons why. Actually, a lot of the San Diego news is negative because people, they want the tourist dollars to go to San Diego. So, I mean, everybody does need to be careful in anywhere you go, but uh, it gets a really, uh, it's not fair what they say about Tijuana and some other parts of Latin America. Part of it is the U.S. wants those dollars to be spent in America. So that's why a lot of the media will make these stories out to be worse than they really are. Yeah, it turns out to be a lot of fear-mongering and trying to get people to do against what they want to do. Like you said, to trying to keep money in their own areas. I mean, I'm not in an impoverished area. I live in Sacramento, California. So I'm up in the northern part of California. So it's not bad, but just like anywhere you go, there's going to be bad parts of any neighborhood. But if you were to tell me you want to go to Tijuana, and if I want to go with you, I would freak out a little bit being, okay, well, I... All the news articles I see are kidnappings and asking for ransoms. And I mean, I think I'm pretty enough to be part of the sex trade. I don't want to be, but I mean, I think I'm pretty enough for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I understand. That's a, that is a reality of living there. Kidnappings and all kinds of horrible things can't happen there, but it's like being careful. And one thing I encourage people, I've been living out of hostels. I never, as an American hostel is an alien na- name, not hostile, but hostel. <laughs> where you live with like 20 people in a room. And I've been doing seven years, so I'm a big spokesman for that. It's more like the United Nations where you share a room. And actually, that's how Alina and I met in San Diego uh, before she was deported by Trump. And uh, that whole story is an incredible story, too, of uh, sadness. But also, at least we're back together and we're trying to make it here from Brazil. I got at least a three-month visa to stay here. So just getting adjusted and uh, getting used to everything. But the whole Tijuana thing... And the travel and the, the risk, we were just talking about that before we went on air about how chaos, you mentioned, the, is like a compass rose. It's very interesting because uh, there's a Chinese coin. On one side of the coin, it says chaos. On the other side, it says opportunity. So sometimes, you know, one of my luminaries, because uh, one of the reasons why I go by backpack is people can Google this uh, backpack journalism as a real thing. Where if you check out a lot of my YouTubes, a lot of them are raw. Maybe you can't understand it. The camera might be shaky. But it's, I'm proud of what I've done because it represents backpack journalism, which is a new thing as technology has really come out where we can do smartphone uh, interviews in the last eight years. Now a lot of more backpack journalists can just be there, okay, here's the video, see it, and then you can determine, you know, a lot of times, a lot of the videos aren't even edited, so just put it out there, people can talk about what they're really seeing. So there's been a lot of things that I've run into that, you know, I, I want to look at why are we generating fake news? So that's a huge topic now. So what are some of your thoughts about the whole fake news thing going on? I think it's a cowardice thing, honestly. I feel that when they find out something's coming up against them that they don't like, instead of having factual evidence behind something, they can just spout fake news. And there are enough people behind them as ignorant to not want to find the actual evidence or find out what's legitimate behind something to just go along with it. It's a, it's becoming a citizenship of lemons, lemmings, excuse me, not lemons. And that's an issue. I mean, I have a degree in kinesiology where my uh, master teacher told me to question everything. If someone says something, you don't believe it, question it, find out why, find out the facts and follow that information. And until you believe it, don't. Unfortunately, I feel that now with the whole fake news push going out there, when you actually have people with cell phones that are everywhere, everything's recorded. 
you have video, you have audio, pretty much everything's recorded. And to tell someone that what they said was incorrect or it's fake news, it's crap because you have it recorded. You can physically go back to archive and see exactly what they said or where they said it. And when they take that to a push of endangering actual reporters out in the field doing things, that becomes an entirely new issue. And now it's becoming a hazard for people. Yeah, one of the reporters I think of the most is uh, David Perlmutter from many years ago. Like I think it was, it's been about ten years where he had his head chopped off. He was in the Middle East, but it is incredible, you know, what he did. And he was, I look at these stories. Like I think of his story. Uh, people are still doing what they really love to do, and it's finding their passion in life. So one of the things like I learned recently about somebody who was eighteen and she worked with wild cats and she got killed by one of the cats, but her father went on national TV and said she was doing what she loved to do. And even, you know, it's really sad what happened, but it's like trying to figure out ways where people can really do what they love and, and keep doing it. If, um, even if other people in their family might not support what they're doing or they might be, they're still living what they really love to do. And then there was another person who was in one of those circus shows and he died, but and there was a whole thing about like, well, if, you know, sometimes I think about that, even World War II when the people were storming at Normandy, in those moments, maybe those fractions of a second that they're storming, they're doing something really important. When the Americans went to Normandy and France and, you know, key point in World War II, and even if they didn't survive, maybe they live more life than some people live 80 years. And, and so that these are things when my dad died was really compelling. And I didn't get back to having a paycheck in 2016 when he died. I just kept living off this money that I had to just explore and in some ways I looked at what I've been doing as the opposite of Trump. I've had some money from my background to really push myself to get out there and, and be, you know, deserve the title backpack for sure. And by doing a lot of this, but also trying to teach people, uh, try to live uncomfortable and try to live in chaos. So it, the whole thing about the compass rose is really interesting. And one of my uh, pen names on Twitter, I have another account called my human compass. You know, what is our human compass uh, in this time? And one of the things I, I've talked about on some other talk shows is we are moving towards a time I call I coined a new term we just came where people are called millennials and now I feel like the new generation is called face to screen time where people are <laughs> and I'm doing the same thing I'm I'm guilty of that just as much as anybody I do a lot of Twitter Facebook LinkedIn but it's you know what's happening with all this and trying to think about what is the face to screen generation but what I see it is oftentimes people are becoming more like robots and now with hands-on robotics, I wrote about that and did some tweets about that too, is that robots are becoming more like humans and humans are becoming more like robots. So I like to poise these questions because like, where is all this going? That hands-on robotics, there's a robot called Sophia and she looks so lifelike. Mm -hmm. And even in Saudi Arabia, they gave her citizenship. So if I, I believe though that robots should never look like humans. I think that we draw this line where we're eventually going to, just like people love their dogs more than human beings, we're going to see more people loving robots more than people. Well, yeah, especially so. with a time right now where you have millennials, which I, I keep saying I think is going to become a derogatory term for people at some point because they don't like being called that. But for that group of people, and I'm considered part of that apparently, I'm in that versus the zennial, the, that cutoff age for Computers weren't around when I was born, but they were given to my house when we got one. But you've got entire generations where they do nothing but hold up their cell phone and they're just kind of doing this all day long. 
they're ingrained in the cell phone. They don't look up. They drive with it. They walk with it. They go to concerts with it. They don't actually experience life at all. They'd rather share what they're doing with other people to make them feel jealous of what they're doing instead of going out and doing it themselves. I mean, you just said you've gone world traveling with no money. You're staying in hostels. You met your fiance in a hostel. Like That's something that I can't even say I've done. I can't say that I've gone and done that. I'd be scared shitless to go that route. I mean, uh, since I was 13, I just got my first passport since the age of 13. It took me 20 years to get another passport. Uh, it just, and for me, it isn't the fact of I'm scared to go somewhere and something to happen. I think fiscally instead of logically. So that is usually my first. Right. Was, I, could I afford that? Could I do that? How can I do that? But the younger generation of the heads and phones face to screen time, that annoys the shit out of me. It really does. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen a lot of changes because I grew up in 1970s America where we didn't have uh, smartphones. I mean, we didn't have even, we had black and white TV and uh, cable TV was just pushing buttons. You know, we didn't have a remote control or anything. And, well, you, know, you were we the remote. The UHF antenna having to get up on the roof and move that around. So, <laughs> tremendous changes. I call it an autopsy on America. Like, how do we do an autopsy on what are all the changes over the last 50 years? I take a deep breath. I think it's all the people who do podcasts, talk shows. Uh, doing all this stuff like YouTubers, uh, people, they give us a chance to kind of take a deep breath and look at, you know, what has been happening. Because so many people are on the go, go, go. You know, a lot of people working two, three jobs don't really have time to digest, like, what's really going on. That's why I love Blog Talk Radio. Wind News Network is on uh, Spreaker, Blog Talk Radio, mm -hmm. all the pretty much all the networks, iHeartRadio, uh, under Voices of Global Freedom. So really proud of that because it, people – are so busy they don't have a time to really take a deep breath and look you know what's going what's really going on all around you and um, I, I see one thing that I'd like to encourage people uh, to be podcasters and a lot of us go out like I interviewed 390 which is a punk rock band recently for example on Spreaker and you know it's awesome I love music all kinds of music from rap to country to everything that I've been absorbed with growing up in Knoxville Tennessee and then living in California Mostly the last four years, I've just fallen in love with California a lot uh, as far as being in the U.S., but it's, I've really learned you know, how uh, podcasters, in my opinion, give as much value for creative people. When you mix podcasters in with like authors, poets, uh, comedians, the whole uh, spectrum of anything that's creative, whether it's uh, musicians, I feel like podcasters are and talk show hosts, and I usually say talk show hosts, in general, should have as much credit as all the other creative people because what we're doing, we're putting content out, but it's also just this love to create creativity instead of us singing or playing an instrument. We're using our voice for our instrument. You know, it's we're, our vocal cords are making the noise. So I feel like uh, our communities can step up to the plate and actually start honoring and looking at our talk show hosts as maybe being more important than how we're seen in 2018. I can I can get on board with that, especially like we said, with the younger community only enveloped in their phones and in social media. I mean, I don't know how many people of the age of 25 or lower actually have a computer, an actual laptop or PC, and not just a tablet or a cell phone, where that's where they get everything from. If it doesn't show up on social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and I keep saying MySpace because maybe one day it'll come back. But 
that's where they get everything. That is where the entire news is coming from. And it doesn't matter what it is, but if that's what they see, if that's who's sharing it from, that's where they get the information from. And so you're right. It has become a big thing where the more popular podcasters, the more popular YouTubers, the more popular anyone that are getting the more likes, getting their names out there, those are the ones that are getting heard. Now, that's a good and a bad thing because some bad people get hurt a lot and don't get caught till later for the, the crap that they put out there. But yeah, it has become a new world of internet. I don't want to say celebrity, but just sensation. Like, that's what it is. You have to put yourself out there to get heard. And like you said, talking to uh, 390, those guys are great. I talked to them a few weeks ago and uh, talked a lot about freedom of speech and that they regardless of the message, believe everyone should have freedom of speech. Now, you better be able to be responsible for what you say and take the reaction that are going to happen to you, but they believe that the more repressed the view, the more following it gets. Yeah, I like their song, like, I Hate the Government. I mean, that has a great appeal to everybody just to, you know, deal with just, it's just this huge spaghetti coat of mess, uh, really, and uh, just interviewed a, another person recently in uh, Iowa right now, and was in California. She has a whole thing with like taking over abandoned houses, and one of the issues that we talk about, we talk a lot about the social issues, and and I even put myself out as a presidential candidate, like as a counterculture like activist. And the importance of counterculture is like huge. Uh, I lived in San Francisco for uh, many times. I've I just came from living on a boat there, which was really cool for two months, nice. and. A lot of why I was still in America was I was just waiting on the visa to come visit Alina in uh, Brazil. Is that I was just some time to get the visa and all that. You had to pay. It's basically money. It's forty-four dollars to get a three-month visa, and then I'm gonna have to look at what do I do after that. But uh, I was in San Francisco, and that's the cradle of the beatnik generation. There's like the beatniks and then the pranksters. This is all the history. But these people like Jack Kerouac did similar things to me as backpack very little money or no money and i do want to do a shout out for one really cool person i just happened to stumble into when i was it was february of about two years ago i was in uh, the green tortoise uh hostel it was in san francisco i met this guy he goes by anti-terrorism us and he's traveling with no money and he just manages to meet people and like tells them the story and you know compassion or he lives on the streets he's been doing that now if you, you can go check out his instagram feed and if you look at it, I was actually the very first one who he did a interview with. I'm really proud of that. I, I actually paid for his hostel when I, looking back at it, I probably shouldn't have because I was, I ran out of money that month. But it was one of those things where I've had to live in four homeless shelters. But it was really cool. This guy is really awesome what he's doing. He's, he's even doing more than what I'm doing because I've had at least some money from my dad's estate where I've had just enough, or if I can sleep in a park, or you know I can make it till on Saturday. I knew the money would come in. So. Nice. You know, there's other people that, are, like, he's my inspiration. I recommend everybody go t- check out Anti-Terrorism. I think it's Anti-Terrorism. He's from, his whole story, I think, is from Canada. He doesn't like to be in the videos himself. He's kind of mysterious, but he's trying to do some cool stuff about compassion. And that's one of the themes of my book, Looking Glass Shattered. I actually wrote it with a pen name called I Human Compassion. And how do we have more compassion in a society where, again, we have face to screen and we have all these things where, where is compassion in 2018 and how do we get more of that back? How do we get people? I, I see it as our leaders, but also having an evolution of values. Like Reverend Martin, Luther, Dr. Martin Luther King said, we need an evolution 
a revolution he used, but I also like the word evolution of values. How do we, us as people, because democracy can only be good. Everybody would love to have democracy, but it's like, it, it comes from having really good people that can lead that democracy. No, and I agree. And I, I like the evolution portion of it because it's an ever evolving term. It's an ever evolving world. Things have to adapt and move on. We can't be stuck where we were back then. And Unfortunately, I feel a lot of the time we're de-evolving and we're going backward. We're not actually going forward. And that's another issue that I think as a country we have in every way, shape, and form. And I think the situation we have in particular with deportation of Mexican-Americans is a huge issue across the board. Like you said, uh, your fiance got deported after being there. We We have veterans being deported who fought for the country. We have people that we have given citizenship because they were helpful for us in wars and in battles. And we decided eh, it's time to go now. And that's crap. That shouldn't be the way that we do things. That's not how this country was founded. A majority of us weren't here in the first place. This is a country of immigrants. Now, I think there is something to be said that we do need a little bit more regulation on what we do and how we do it, and that's understandable but that doesn't start with kicking people out that have been here and fought for the country and have, you know contributed to things for the past 30 40 50 years i think that's crap in general i, I interviewed on the youtube channel under win news uh, well everybody can find it if you go to youtube under win number four news and the website win number four news.com uh the guy who've been here like 50 years and he's like the director of this program for unified deported veterans. So when they get deported though, they lose all their benefits. So they can't, there's no VA in Mexico, for example. So one thing I did learn is according to what they told me was that they did change the law in America. Now, if you, you have to be a U.S. citizen before you can be in any of the military, at least that's what I understand. I'm just going off what they told me. So that's interesting. So they have made that change, but there's still, uh, there was another guy who works with another, veteran program for helping and apparently he was pardoned by the governor of california so that's a huge story like all there's something like thousands of veterans and a lot of them get deported back to uh, not just mexico it's all over the world so there was a veterans deported back to ethiopia who maybe never even been there or they were there when they were babies and then they somehow made it to the u.s and then they served some loophole and a lot of it is uh you know these some minor crime, especially like I believe that people uh, who have been convicted of anything with drugs, they should be uh, they should be set free, especially marijuana. I don't even call that a drug. It's just like parsley. It's a natural thing. I actually did a great interview with Dr. Bud Zill. That's on Blog Talk Radio, and uh, he's a, one of our advocates. Uh, I'll have to refer you to some other people I've had on the show. He's really he's yeah. out of I believe Illinois. He's really good, Dr. Bud Zill. Uh, he really is sharp, knows all the stuff about what's going on with marijuana and legalizing. And so all these types of things, like some little thing happens, uh, but all it takes is like President Trump or the governor or any of the governors, they can actually, uh, of the state, I guess these people were convicted of some crime, can pardon them and then they can come home. But it's an incredible story. Like Louis Vargas was another person I interviewed and he lived in America for like 30 years and he considered himself a he served years in the Marine Corps, and he went over to, like, when Lebanon was going on, the fighting there in the 80s. He was uh, on a ship over there. It's like, how can we, you know, in some ways, I mean, who cares what crime it is? And, you know, one of the things I've learned from hostel living, I'm really proud, is I have friends from all over the world now, and I can compare their systems to America. So one of my hashtags for running for president is make America a country. 
And why do I say that? We're not really a country because when you start comparing like Sweden, Finland, uh, Norway, those are real countries. Like even second-degree murder in like Norway, it's like six years and you go to this country club prison, you know, and then you compare, you know, that could be life or even the death penalty, I think, in America, you know, like strict yeah. stuff. So it's like in our prison, you know, private prisons, and a lot of people can see these tweets. I'm real passionate about that. It's like people making money off slave labor in these private prisons is ridiculous. You know, right now, if anybody goes into a stock uh, exchange, they can get 10 to 15 percent profit off of people making like 40 cents an hour uh, working in these prisons. Uh, that that's unique, I think, to America, from my understanding that we have a industrial prison and a military complex is so huge and it's so driven by the stock market not by people's needs and these are major issues i think any we're in election year here and also in brazil there's some candidates coming up uh also in brazil that are somewhat similar to trump there's a guy named brasileiro who's running for president who apparently he's like the top choice i'm not saying his name quite right but he's apparently like a trump follower and he's getting this huge evangelical uh, following and he's saying that he's very much like trump but he's very scary from what i'm reading and from some of the statements he, he believes in a dictatorship and all the things that trump loves about dictators and this 92 million what do you think of this 92 million dollar parade that trump's going to do a military parade for 92 million now it's been bloated up that's what i read recently yeah. that this parade that he's putting what about helping veterans uh, instead of this parade <laughs> Not his priority. He wants to have a pissing contest with the world. He wants to be a dictator. That's why he wants to take away rights, shut people down. If you question him, you get out of the cabinet. You're no longer a good person or citizen if you question it. And the whole idea was that we're supposed to question the authority. We're supposed to question anyone that's supposed to have our support and be our voice. That's not your voice. And that's why he came out swinging saying, Kim Jong-un is a really nice guy, fantastic this, and he's looking for headlines. He wants to be the first president to do this and do that. Meanwhile, he's done jack shit on any of his promises to do anything for that, and there's not been any denuclearization. We can't even classify where things are over there. So it it comes back to the de-evolution. You want to go back into a time where you want a single person to run a country and kind of go that way for it and... It's a scary time. It is. And coming up in a world where you pay attention to things, you look at things, you actually watch and read the credible news, you get a little leery here in the States of what's really going to happen. Yeah, I, one of the things is why one of the, my main reasons for running for president is to bring awareness to my background. I have before I did all these adventures in 2011, uh, it was April 1st is when I became backpack and just started hiking the Appalachian Trail and now I've done some of the Pacific Crest Trail, at least the beginning. So there's three nice. major trails in the United States, the uh, Appalachian Trail, which goes mm -hmm. from Georgia to Maine, and then the Continental Divide, which is like Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, like in the middle of the country. And then the Pacific Crest Trail that starts near San Diego, which I spent a lot of time there from. It's called Campo, California, which is about an hour from San Diego that goes all the way to Canada. So the, the three major trails are really an amazing opportunity if you have anybody that doesn't have much money or they just want to take a sabbatical uh just get a backpack on and just start hiking the trails uh maybe you can just do it for two or three weeks you can really do it really inexpensive really low cost and i've got some great interviews actually with people who have done the hike either completed it or parts of it and they talk about their story a lot of people are just fed up with the corporate life or they're fed up they get fired or maybe they 
just dealing with depression or something. They're just dealing with like life chaos, but they, you know, sometimes that can be the best way to heal. Just get on one of the trails and just start hiking. Uh, one of the, so that's some of the areas, some of the insights that I've learned, but some of the things going on with Trump or Hillary, you know, she was also one of the most unpopular choices too. It's like such a polarized, uh, election cycle. But one of the things why I run for president is to emphasize quality, uh, my background is Six Sigma doing technology, like quality assurance. Uh, so it's like ISO 9000, project management professional. We have these great quality uh, measures, but a lot of times what I, my experience is working for AT&T and some small companies was we have, they have quality departments, but they don't really, they just create reports. They're not real, real quality. So that's why I put myself out as a candidate more than anything. And that's a unique thing. And no matter what people are running after, uh, under what flag or title that they want to run under, what party, everybody can agree with having good quality. Because uh, and more than even the uh, the House Oversight Committees that we have now, and the military, I interviewed a colonel who talks about he was fired because he said something about, like, all we do is look at PowerPoint slides. We don't really do anything. And the military has lost, like, millions or billions or I've heard even trillions of dollars of money just wasted. So it's, the, it's this idea of how do we get quality back? And that includes like corporations and businesses and charities, you know, bringing quality to all these processes and but never forgetting what it means to be a human being too. So it's like human being and quality. And so that's why I put myself out is just bring attention to that. We have great processes and we have the, they're called like Six Sigma yellow belts or green belts. These are like master Yodas of, quality who've been through years of training uh, why don't we uh, insert that and i think that's something that everybody would be happy with i, I would go so far as to say i would have to hire uh have even a quality department why can't a, a new cabinet post in the government if i were elected would just be quality and it'd be oversight of all the other departments you know a huge quality department but not just a, a stupid report that you know says quality it's actually it is quality you don't want yeah. someone just reporting off numbers, reading you numbers, and then doing nothing to change the numbers and have no effect on things. Just be a statistical analysis, essentially. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's sad, but it's true. A lot of everybody says, "Oh, yeah, we have a quality department," and the whole history of quality is really interesting. My background: I studied in business administration. Uh, this guy named Deming, he was the father of quality, but he was also considered the father of artificial intelligence. In 1950s, America, they, they could care less about quality. We were coming out, pumping out all these cars, you know, back the, in those days. And then uh, he went to Japan, and they fell in love with him. And so he helped develop, like, Toyota and Honda. It was we saw in the 1970s, the only cars that wouldn't fall apart, uh, Chris Rock has a famous joke, like, we can land, land a man on the moon, but we can't make a Buick the, where the bumper doesn't fall off. You know, it's like, but Honda and Toyota, like, have really surpassed uh, all the American quality. And that's when people like Ralph Nader, he was a really good quality guy. I really liked him. He ran for president, too. And he brought uh, seatbelts. He's the reason why, you know, the, I think the uh, the American car companies didn't want, because it hurts their profit margin, to put a seatbelt in. But look how many lives were saved by Ralph Nader is one of our true heroes. You know, I see it as what he's been promoting and and. I'd like to encourage everybody to go check him out, like what he's been doing over all these years. He's still alive and doing some really good stuff. 
I like him to throw he's still alive and still doing stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's one of those guys that you just hear about and then you don't hear about him for like, you know, he's just soundbite media. That's one of my frustrations. Like, I really, really like Vice News and I would say that Win for News would have a similar kind of model. But I still feel like I like their stuff. They actually did a really cool expose on the canals in Tijuana where I was at recently where the homeless and interviewing people that live in those tunnels. But I feel like a lot of it is soundbite media. I'd like to see like more of a like a two hour, more of a deep dive into it, you know, more really more in depth of that, you know, and then we just forget, like we forget about these people like Ralph Nader or even Jack Kerouac from the 1950s. Like, who was this guy? Well, he wrote some awesome books that are considered some of the best books in the world. But what did he do? He he risked everything. He did everything that was counterculture in the 1950s when everybody was broke after World War Two. Instead, he traveled and wrote some awesome stuff about experiences, and so that was great. No, and I agree, and I think you know, when it comes to the idea of people like you wanting a more in-depth you know, investigation or kind of a look at what's going on with different subjects and different topics, you have to look at the sound by media world where you've got to hook them in two seconds – and then you've got to get past a swipe or a click. And now you've got to get them to watch you for 15, 20 minutes. And people that don't know anything in the first place about what's going on aren't going to pay attention. And then it's move on to the next one. So now it's like, it's clickbait. It's like, what can I get you to click on real quick to look at what I want to have said and done and heard? And people don't have the attention span or don't want to have the knowledge of what's going on. That's why I think the news itself is becoming a dying art it's also a very very sad state in the states where it's a monopoly like one company was it sinclair company owns a majority of all the local the local news networks so they all have to play the exact same stories the exact same verbiage get the exact same thing from coast to coast there's no change in what's going on yeah, I've seen a lot of that, like when I Google YouTube, where they literally show a clip from uh, all these different shows, and each announcer saying exactly the same word. And many, many years ago, I knew a lady, when I lived in Atlanta, my background is like Knoxville, Tennessee for 27 years, and then most of my IT work was uh, about 16 years in Atlanta. So the first 27 years was, I worked at Levi Strauss doing clerical stuff, and then I got a bachelor's in business administration and then a associates in computer science. So I got a job from 27 to 42 was my years in Atlanta. And I knew a person who worked for the Atlanta journal constitution as a, a reporter. And she said they had an entire, like the top floor is like the 50th floor in Atlanta where they were just with red ink, everything that she would do. She wanted to do a story about deportation and what's going on with people from Mexico living in America. And, but they had to, cut everything out and just they had to look at it from the corporate model and that's what we're trying to do with win for news too one of the unique things that we're trying to do is like talk about things from the have not so you know like the aerosmith song i love that song where it says talk about things nobody cares but but should care you know so the idea is like how do we get the news out what are what's the media missing and it feels like that's what you're trying to get out there too like what are we missing and that's what this you know, we need to rant about, like, what are all the missing pieces? But some of the things that I've seen, you know, I've been talking a lot about freedom fighters or beatniks or pranksters, even the people who say this system's all broken. And so I believe we should have a national 
hall I were to be president for freedom fighters. And so like people getting back to my San Francisco, that's the cradle of like freedom of speech. Berkeley, California is where a lot of the, even today they still have like, there was a big thing there with the Antifa, you know, and all that like freedom of speech and stuff was started in Berkeley. But I believe I go so far as Washington DC right now needs like a memorial. We already have a memorial for like Thomas Jefferson. We have a memorial for like George Washington, you know, supposedly these, people that were famous but i'd like to see a beatnik memorial in dc like as that's important because people i include chris rock i include uh george carlin he's one of my heroes oh yeah i include all these people like that are beatniks they're counterculture people if you listen to what they talk about they're talking about the opposite of what we're programmed to you know double quote (laughs) program (laughs) what we're told to to believe not that's why i love these people and we should have a national holiday for them, for their freedom fighters, and also uh, uh, people like uh, you know some of the luminaries from you know all, a lot of the people who are more into politics and talking about what's going on. You know, I want to even say Seinfeld somewhat, but he's more a light version of that. But it, you know, even some of the stuff he is poking fun at a lot of what our what we do, what we you know we flock around and do. But it's like. Uh, you know, to have a memorial like that would be huge to say that these people are just as important. Oh, Lenny Bruce is one of the other ones who's really famous. Uh, he was actually in jail for saying, uh, you know, curse words, you know, things like that, that now we take for granted that a lot of people, we can see that now all the time now in comments and uh, YouTube posts. But these are our forefathers of freedom fighters, and they also realized that we had a broken system and that it, even the pirates could be looked at as the good guys when we see that they're fighting a broken system. Even a pirate's a good guy. Oh yeah. And I think the way that we look at the system now, and if you're looking at the presidency and what goes on, I keep calling it an idea of smoke and mirrors where he's okay to be in the face of everyone. Let's talk about Stormy Daniels. Let's talk about me saying this. Let me tweet something stupid while you're paying attention to all this stuff. That means absolutely nothing. We're going to start bombing over here. We're going to start invading over here. We're going to deport over here. We're going to capture from over here. But all you're seeing is this fluff of nothingness that makes great clickbait. Oh, yeah, that's true. And that's a big part of having a reality TV show host as the president of the United States. He's the first one ever to step into that chair and that reality. So. Yeah, what happened with Alina when we were we met at a hostel in San Diego in March of 2018? She was told by a, a, a immigration lawyer the wrong advice: just go down to Tijuana as a Brazilian and then walk back uh, into the border. And they threw her in handcuffs and threw her in a deportation cell, and no sunlight or, or air. You know, it's like being in a container prison. It was near San Diego Airport. She was held there for like four days, God. and. Uh, she did nothing wrong. She was just trying to renew her travel visa on the day it was due. She was just trying to follow everything like she's supposed to. And so instead they just deported her. And like, it's so we're dealing with that. Like how do we pick up the pieces of our lives from that? So I've been back since August 13th. So we're trying to do the best we can looking at different options and things that we can do right now. I think ideally, actually Alina lived in the Netherlands for a year and a half and she's got a great background, like a business analyst for 15 years and similar to my background with technology so we're looking at ways, but why I say make America country is when you look at the Netherlands and how they treat their people, their prison systems and their health care, how everybody has health care for everybody and, and gets benefits and 
great things like that. That's a real country. That's why America is not a country. And that's why that hashtag came about. Until we can live up to other countries, then we can deserve to become a country. So that's right now it's a Facebook page and it's trying to bring attention to what what can make America a real country when we look at our sisters and brothers in Finland, Norway, uh, Sweden, and they actually have better transparency laws. They have better quality assurance. I learned Sweden has some ways where instead of the Freedom of Information Act, which is really a joke, uh, if you do, anybody tries to do a Freedom of Information Act, it's all redacted. Like you'll get a report, but it won't, it's a waste of time. I don't even see why we have that. It's not real uh, information. But they actually have transparency laws in Sweden where you can find out about what your politicians are doing. We don't have that. None of that even exists in our constitution. We don't have, like, our founding fathers weren't even thinking about quality. So that it gets back to, there's so much to do to add quality. And so I want to, I'm glad that we brought it up here on this show and other shows. I try to bring it up anytime I can. It's like, let's talk about this. Why? We have people like Hillary and Trump running, but nobody's even talking about hiring Six Sigma people to be the highest level, like our government, to cut ways, to cut spending. And this is something we can all agree on. So I really want to try to get the word out. It's almost like, you know, throwing a Hail Mary pass, throwing that football up, the expression, seeing if some people can catch it. Maybe somebody out there in cyber world can see this and they'll run with it too. I just want to get the word out. Yeah, and when it comes to trying to, like you said, make America a country again, you're looking at trying to unite people across the country that have already had divided views, that have gotten even more fractured over the past few years, that now are splitting the great divide of, you know, the upper class to the lower class, where the middle class is completely devolving and going away. So you've got a bunch of people that are wanting whatever they can get to make themselves whole again, to make them a better person without having to pay for anyone else to do it. Whereas you got the higher end who don't care about anyone else and just don't take my money and let's find out how I can get another tax benefit to help me. By the way, for the low class, here's a thousand dollars. Don't say we didn't give you anything. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the big things is the corporate welfare is way more than uh, welfare in general, like what we're offering for corporations to help them out. And that was a huge thing where the discussion was really, you know, there was a disappointment uh, in Obama when he was president, because in 2007, uh, you know, I do like to ask that question is like, let the banks fail. They say they're too big to fail, but just they should fail. Uh, they were corrupt, and so we bailed out General Motors, too. They got like $40 billion to be bailed out. A lot of people call it government motors now. And I think they're, they just even recently, I think, still were paying that off, or they paid it off. It hasn't been that long paid it off, yeah. since 2007. So it's like, come on, like, uh, you know, this frustration. I What I would see, the next president, whether it's me or somebody else, should trust bust the corporations. I see as a solution is I would trust bust Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, and some of these other huge you know, Facebook just bought out Instagram. Like, should they be owning all these things? Uh, but if they get broken up into mom and pop type of stores, or even Monsanto would definitely be on my list of companies that should really go away. Because fundamentally, a lot of the issues that I feel like we're missing is our food. I've, I've suffered. I have ulcerated colitis. Sometimes I have like where I have, if I'm not careful, I can really have some issues. I was just having some recently because 
I just put my diet to the wind because I was eating all kinds of stuff in Mexico and even some in Brazil because I just want to try everything. It's new, you know, just being an adventurous person. I also want to try the foods when I show up. But I actually tried taco eye, which one thing I'll say about in Mexico, they don't waste any of the cow parts. They have like all kinds of parts that they'll, the tongue of the, of the cow, the eye. So I had to try eyeball. It is just like what you think, like eating an eyeball of a cow. So, but, you know, this whole thing about, you know, where is all this going? You know, how do we become a country? You know, how do we encourage people? Because you mentioned before about a passport. Only like 30 to 40 percent of Americans even own a passport. So one of our things is we have an impression that Americans are wealthier, that they have more stuff. But a lot of people in America don't get to travel. And some of my ideas that I've had, eventually I'd like to start a program where and do a video and like document it, find some people who've never left their small hometown in America and let them travel for six months, get them a passport and a visa and let them travel the world. And, you know, some countries require a visa. But it's like that would actually go a long way to get rid of racism and a lot of our issues of bigotry and stuff like that. Because do a video like before where they only know like 10 or 20 people in their same small town and just let them go all over the world. And then they start to see how they can be sisters and brothers and depend have a good relationship with other people and we're going to look to put this on youtube and uh put a portuguese in there i'm just learning i took two years of spanish so some of it helps but i'm also trying to learn as much portuguese as i can to actually have some better conversations with it so nice now how were you able to get all the travels done on such a little amount of money in my eyes it costs a lot of money just to get out of the states well, the big thing is just having some money from my dad's estate. You know, it's just been enough where, you know, I have some and then I know some money will come in at the first of the month, that kind of thing. So that's been enough to kind of help me afloat. Um, so that's mostly how I've been able to do it. But, you know, there's still I would love to have a little bit more uh, padding in there. But, you know, I that's been mostly my labor of love has been these YouTube videos and I've been doing it for years. And if people Google Roy Dan Barron. You can see someone I was with Collar Davenport, Alternative Public Radio International, and some other shows that I did. And then I was with a real life Yoda doing uh, Voices of Global Freedom. He has his Yoda voice, and his background was like law enforcement, military, intel. And so I was either like living with him, sleeping on the couch where I didn't pay rent for some time, you know, or just kind of just making it, you know, just having a few dollars here and there. So that's kind of been my existence. But it is risky it is a feeling like man i would love to have more padding because when i worked in it and even in 2011 i had 60,000 in savings and no debt so it's nice to have more padding but i maybe i kind of i'm a little more used to it i i certainly don't want to be destitute here in brazil though because you know i'm i'm not from this country so i don't want that to happen End up yeah, in the i think we've all seen locked up abroad you're gonna someone's gonna ask you to shove like a key of coke in your butt and take it across the border and you'd be totally okay with that <laughs> that's what happens well, on Locked Up Abroad. Uh, you know, I have a lot of empathy. You know, that's that is a big issue because, like, when I was living in Arizona and doing some adventures there, I found like a lot of the people who are doing the drugs in America are forced to it. The cartels will take their whole family and say, "You either put that cocaine up your butt and you, you know, you go into America or whatever, or you know, your whole family's going to be dead." You know, so why wasn't that brought up by Trump? You know, that really my frustration. You know, I want to emphasize this is a huge point, too. If Trump had ever fallen in love with a lady from Brazil or Mexico or Latin America, Colombia, 
he'd have a whole different song and dance uh, about building a wall and all that. I, I go so far as we should tear down the wall. I even did a video about that. I was actually at the border wall for a while. I spent the day with Louis Varga, who was deported. They were actually finishing his name on the Tijuana side of the border, which is really cool. They were actually, I did a video on YouTube where you can see him finishing his name, Louis Varga, who was in America for like 30 years and deported. He's as much American as I am, even more American than I am. I mean, because his ancestry is really from Mexico. If anybody has a right to America, it's them. I, my family came, my grandma came from Hungary. She spoke like five languages. So I'm a, I'm an imported product. You know, the real people from America are the people from Mexico and uh, people who are Native American. They're, you know, they're the people who should be deporting everybody else, you know, at the end of the day. Oh, I also love our country telling us to put up a wall to blockade anyone from getting in. Yet it was our country telling Gorbachev to tear down that wall. So we went from tear down a wall to let's put up our own wall. Yeah, right. Actually, that's what I called this video. I said, uh, Mr. Trump, tear down this wall. <laughs> you know, from like <laughs> the Gorbachev, well, when President Reagan said that to Gorbachev. But, you know, we didn't even have a wall at the Mexico border 100 years ago, and we got along fine. I, I see my solution would be take the wall down and abolish ICE. And, you know, like that's really radical. That sounds far left. But the other thing would be raise the minimum wage in Mexico to $3 an hour, like make a minimum wage. And then legalize drugs but even more than that i want to emphasize a lot of people talk about the debate of like legalizing or criminalizing drugs it's not even that like 100 years ago cocaine used to be in coca-cola it was mm -hmm. part of your that's why coca-cola successful in 2018 was people got cocaine in their coke uh so it's like it's not even a the issue as i see it is very different it's like not even whether it should be legal or or legal it wasn't even classified it's like it just was there. So that was a recent phenomenon. I think even Reagan in the 80s was more about, you know, the war on drugs and stuff. But it's like if you go back from the 1920s, uh, you know, it wasn't even legal or not legal. And that's maybe that's the solution is don't even call it legal or illegal. Just say it's there. And, you know, no matter what we do, people are going to get high. People are going to uh, smoke paint, whatever, you know, to get high or glue. People are doing all kinds of, there's some stuff, Vice News did a story about that where people are getting high off these like rocks where you normally, when you see in a store, if you know what it is, you can get high off it, but it's like these things you put in your bath salts. Have the you heard about salts, that? Yeah. Like, well, so, yeah. And then you've got, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. And you've got kids who aren't of the legal age to drink. They're not of the legal age to smoke. So what do they do instead? They take Purell. That's for your hands. They start snorting it, putting it in their eyes, putting it up their butt. So it's like you've got people taking perfectly legal things and trying to get all sorts of weirded out by doing that. You've got girls now sticking tampons and Listerine and putting that inside themselves because it's got alcohol in it and that's going to get them a buzz. And those are legal items anyone of any age can buy. It's not even an issue of smoking crack or taking coke or smoking weed, which is still classified as stage one narcotic. And you still have people that are locked up for a life sentence that we all pay for as taxpayers. And you want to talk about how can we reduce the tax uh, and all the costs, everybody? Maybe don't put people that sold weed to other people on a life sentence and make everyone pay for it. 
Yeah, one thing I'll admit is that you know my mom started Midway Drug and Alcohol Rehab Center, which right now they have a uh, they do have a contract with the Federal Bureau of Prisons. They've got about 80 people in their beds, but it's not the same program when my mom started before she had that. One of the things that we have seen a huge change in our prison systems where they're not based on rehabilitation. Her original design of that program was based on rehabilitation, but I understand why she did that. It was to get on autopilot and just have the program keep going because once you get a government contract, uh, you can just be on autopilot and you're going to exist yep. forever and everybody's going to get a paycheck and but the reality is, uh, my opinion was much better before, because you could have like uh, I, I even suggested having an event there, like having to go see the prisoners, have an inspirational speaking or like a book, you know, because I wrote a book and I'm, you know, I'm the son of my mom Ellie, uh, you know, who her her name was Wiggler at the time before she got married, uh, remarried again. But you know, it's like me being the son, just talking about my book about inspiration, motivation, and helping people who are in, prisoners at this program it's like a halfway house like halfway between prison and halfway being you know in your own house like but it was a lot more about rehabilitation but when i posed that question to the current ceo he said no we can't do that because we have so many regulations by the federal bureau of prisons and you know it's not only that and i also see a lot of people with child protective services where they're getting really screwed right now where it's just part of this machine it's just this big machine and it's based on money and corporations and, you know, private stock and, and not rehabilitation. So we've lost so much. That would be one of my huge key points of Autopsy on America is that we really have lost uh, a lot of our rehabilitation and a lot of our programs. And even our schools now, uh, most of our teachers now and a lot of the disadvantaged schools and uh, poor, uh, really struggling neighborhoods, they have to be social workers. They can't even be teachers anymore. They have to, because a lot of these kids come to school hungry or they don't have the right clothes or they, they have one parent. Uh, so where's all this going? Is like, how do we get back to rehabilitation and really uh, where people can be good citizens to come out uh, one day when they eventually, whether it's a halfway house where they're halfway between prison and home or home itself, how do we get that that dialogue again to talk about Really, that's what the original idea of a, a prison is or jail. It's, you know, how do we help bring these people back? So we're not doing that anymore, sadly enough. No, and I consider it like the argument for cancer. There is no money in the cure. There's only money in the treatment. And so that's kind of where that falls to. So these guys, they're getting paid to have as many heads to beds as possible. That's why you're overcrowded. That's why you'll fill it up. That's why we haven't been able to, you know, defeat cancer. You can't tell me with all the technology and all the scientists we've got that there hasn't been some sort of evolved idea or thinking or drug produced that we can cure cancer. We've cured mono, but we can't get cancer. It's the same idea. Like there's just, there's too much money to be had and too many hands are going to be cut off if you stop supplying it. And that's not going to happen when they all have a different string in the government. That's true. And one of the big uh, stories I just did, uh, it's on blog talk radio with the lady uh, about her husband and they were, he was doing great. Like he was declared with cancer and then he started doing CBDs and then doing like all smoothies and all natural. And it was something like 80% of his blood and it dropped down to 5%. And the only reason why he died, which was really sad, was because he went the doctor way. They told him he had a lump on his throat, and they did like with that radiation stuff, and he died really quick after that. So 
he said, screw the doctors, and he just did CBD. And oh, for the audience who doesn't know, uh, marijuana can be THC or CBD. And it, no matter what, CBD doesn't make you high. It's, it helps with pain relief. And now they're saying it can cure cancer and amazing stuff that we can get from marijuana. So the argument, CBD should be legal in all 50 states at least. And THC, you know, is also a great pain reliever too as well. It's like, but that's a good story to talk about like, well, why did his cancer rate drop like 70% just from CBD? And I wish my mom could have CBD uh, or even THC in Georgia, but it's not legal yet because she has a lot of back pain. It's like, I think about that all the time. It's like, because now in California, it's been legal for a while. Yeah. So it's pretty much, you know, we take it for granted when you go to California, it's like, then you have the rest of the country and, but slowly it's getting legal in a lot more States. And it's getting there. And I, I did a conversation with uh gene Bob here a few weeks ago, who was actually a cannabis farmer and has tons of different product that he's actually producing and putting out in one of his main one that he pushes is the CBD. He actually has family that has had surgeries that he gives that to because they don't want to have, you know, Vicodin. They don't want to have all this stuff in their system. They'd rather have something that is not going to hook them on things for a long time. That's supposed to be non-addictive and have better quality. And also they don't want to take their head out of it. They don't want to be loopy. And that's what CBD was giving them that the pain relief, the body euphoria, but their head was never out of the game. And that was a big, big, proponent for them and that's why he got into the industry in the first place he wanted to see exactly what he could do and how he could do it and then perfect his own way of doing it and not make something that was black market or gray market but make it fully transparent in california as a white market product and be able to help those people that need that same help and have no addictive qualities like you have with big pharma oh yeah a great interview with Dr. Bud Zill. The big concern now is it's becoming more legal. Now the corporations are going to swoop in and we might see marijuana, you know, sold as cigarettes. And so these are all issues that I feel like, you know, it, I just feel like uh, I'm sure a lot of other people do too. It's like these things of like adding quality and like, where's all these things going? It just, it seems like nobody's even talking about it. That's why I love your show. And like being able to talk about this is like, I feel frustrated. Like, you know, like, I'm just, you know, it feels good. This is like a therapy session, you know, to <laughs> rant about what's really, you know, let's talk about this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's great that, you know, I really appreciate all that you do and everything. So that's great. I th the one area where I was talking about podcasters and creative before would be how to, uh, you know, even when a concert goes on, like concerts could set aside a certain amount of money for talk show hosts. Like, these concerts may, you know, like Burning Man's going on right now. And mm -hmm. I actually almost went to that last year. That's still on my bucket list to go and maybe have more of a budget and film a lot of Burning Man. You know, I love the idea of Burning Man. That should be my, uh, one of my campaign slogans. One of my many slogans is like, I put the pot in POTUS. If I was elected, <laughs> I'd make it legal on the federal level too. But, you know, Burning Man is actually a symbol of, you know, they you burn this big effigy of like, this guy wearing a suit and a tie, and I don't even like to wear ties. It's like, you know, it's like we need to burn that away. And look, that's a counterculture perspective, even though Burning Man is not like what it used to be like 30 years ago. I did some cool videos with like a burner. This guy was amazing. I'd like to come back and film some with him. It's like if you look up in the dictionary under burner, you can see that on my YouTube channel. This guy is really cool. Guy, I'll have to send it to you on Facebook, the interview with him. It was just, just really cool, interesting guy. But 
uh, some of my other friends, my friend Jared and this guy, they went for a couple days at the end of Burning Man. But, you know, so the idea, though, would be like you have this great concert. They're making shitloads of money. Give some of that money to the people doing the interviews. Just allocate a certain amount of money. Not, it doesn't have to be a lot, but at least give some people to encourage them to do this. Because, you know, one of my scariest things, and I don't want this to happen to me, you or anybody, is like, but it is a reality. You can Google, like, whether it's a blog or a vlog or a website, and you can see that, some, unfortunately, sometimes for whatever reason, uh, they just, you know, you go to their website and, it, and it's it's been taken down because of maybe they couldn't afford it or they just stopped living their passion, stopped living their dream. It's just a, an empty site. So if we can do something, that's one of my ideas, uh, give some of the talk show people some money from by being at the concert. And, you know, like I was at Austin City, not Austin City Limits, but the other huge one in Austin, Texas, you know, the other music festival there, ACL, I was there for that, you know, but it'd be, right now we're not really doing that. I'd love to see our concerts uh, cherish and honor our talk show people because most people they are going for that and they might get free admission, but they're not really getting paid. I think the vast majority, I think 99% of people doing talk shows or podcasts aren't getting paid anything. It's just labor of love, but giving them a little bit of money at least, you know, and so that would be something that I would encourage people to do. Look at that. Uh, I can't uh, disagree can with that. I think that most of us doing this, it is more of a labor of love. We enjoy doing it. It doesn't cost a great amount of money to do it, but it does cost money to have it produced. So people that want to do it want to see some sort of value out of doing it. I like introducing people that are new to me to everybody else. And I think that is a nice thing that I don't think everyone gets to say they get to do. And me being who I am, I go into public and talk to everyone all the time anyway, because you never know what stories are going to come out of what people you're going to meet and what entertainment you're going to get out of just doing that. And that's my biggest pet peeve is putting down your phone and talking to somebody. And people are offended when you talk to them now in public. And people need to get over that. It's not that world, but that telephone tough guy that everyone thinks they are, as soon as you look them in the eyes, they look like, you know, doe-eyed deer and they're scared like, oh my God, someone just said something to me. What, what do I do? So Yeah, that's true. You know, and also I encourage people the hostile living uh, where you might have a place with people from Sudan, uh, Ethiopia, you know, uh, all con- all over the world, and r- both in the United States and all over the world. But it's like incredible what I've learned, and, and I try to stay in touch with the people. One day I'd like to have like a big party where I invite po- both people that I've been on their show as a guest or as a host, and like have this huge party because uh, these talk shows have really brought opened up my world. Because sometimes I'll still hear from people, or even some people that heard me from four years ago doing a talk show, like with Collar Davenport, or I know. Some people from way back when, they're like, hey, I still remember you from when you did this show. And that always makes me feel good. Or sometimes I do get a comment on the YouTube channel where someone says, hey, you're doing great. Keep it going. You know, I want to hear from you. And, but I also get the uh, comments where, you know, this is all crap, you know, and, you know, you get both. <laughs> but that's just the reality. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're going to get yeah. both sides of every coin. And I, and I can see that coming from either way. And I typically welcome that because I love conversation. I love confrontation because if you've got a valid point to be against something I have a strong feeling for, I have no problem talking that out and figuring out. I do have an issue with people that have no background in anything and get louder and more boisterous and then try to talk over you to shut you down because they have no actual 
education behind something. And if they can stop the conversation, then they win, which is also another, you know, uh, idea of what the presidency has become. If he can't outsmart you, which he can't, he'll just out loud you. And that's what he just tries to do. Yeah, I call a lot of our candidates politically our plastic blow-dried suits. You know, and <laughs> he I will say one thing about Trump when you see the debates, he just blew them out of water. Like Jeb Bush was low energy and everything he said was right. These people were just like, who are these people? Are they robots or you know, and I see that you know, I've been watching some of the debates here in Brazil because it's a presidential election here and I look at these candidates and I'm like, are these even real people? Are they robots from Disney World? you know like i think ultimately in some ways who do we want to be around it's like who who do we want to share that six pack with or a joint at a campsite or i call it the digital camp campground or digital uh dinner table you know who do you really want to like get to know and sometimes i one of my favorite uh counterculture people is bill murray the comedian actor and why is that because uh he likes to shake people up and wake them up you know it's that whole I heard stories about him in New York, and he'll knock your coffee down, and then you'll look at him on a fight, or you know, you're upset, and then you see, oh, it's Bill Murray, you know, like <laughs> messing with you. You I'm know, so, you know, I do worry about that. I just did a tweet about that recently, like, you know, where is this going with this bland? It's almost like if everybody's face to screen, we're not developing charismatic people. We're not, you know, people who want to just do adventure, jump out of an airplane, which that's something I did in. March of 2011 when I, I don't know that I would do that again, but it gives me a little more charisma, you know, like how do we, or like, you know, we hear about president Teddy Roosevelt who came to the Amazon and I'm actually looking to see, I might actually do that while I'm in Brazil, at least spend some time in the Amazon, you know, it's very dangerous there with piranhas and all kinds (laughs) of stuff. Everything that wants to kill you, similar to Texas. (laughs) When I lived in Austin, you know, it's like all these bugs and everything. You live in a place where everything wants to kill you. It's interesting. Oh, I don't do <laughs> You know, it. scorpions. There's snakes here. Even where I'm staying now, I am I said I'm in the Sao Paulo area, but I'm actually in Sao Hockey, which is about an hour from uh, from Sao Paulo right now. And there's poisonous snakes here. You're dead in about an hour. Even worse God. than rattlesnakes, so, you know, from where I am from Tennessee. And we have nasty stuff in Georgia and Tennessee, but... You know, they're really nasty stuff down here in this Amazon area. So uh, we're actually in winter time right now. So we're the opposite season right now, but the winters are still pretty mild here. It, it doesn't snow here. It's very tropical where I'm at. And uh, nice. we jut out about another hour from the Eastern time. So it's interesting to learn all these little differences. But I think, you know, the question would be is how do we raise people to be more charismatic? Like some more, you watch things like Chevy Chase, you know, the comedian, like, all these oddball, weird characters, as much as you laugh at them, but you still kind of, you know, admire people that are some charisma. They might be stupid or really screwed up people, but they're interesting and they're kind of funny and weird and just everything. But what about, I'd rather see people like that in some ways than just robotic, you know, zombie type people that, you know, like you said, you see people that don't even want to talk when you meet them outside because they just want to look at their phone. So it's like, you know, I think a big part of it is critical thinking. How do we get people to think critically? And, you know, how do we get more counterculture people? How do we get more pirates out there? No, I agree. So. And it's it's something that I think we all need to come to an agreement on somehow of getting there. And it's going to be a slow progression to allow people to do that. And no one wants to be uncomfortable. 
that is a fear of people is that being uncomfortable. But that unnerving feeling, that uncomfortable feeling, that's what lets you grow. That's what lets you learn. And people don't want that. That's not comforting them. It's not like the blanket on their chest. It's like them being naked in public, which is also a fun thing to do. I don't know if you can do that down there and not get yelled at for it, but I just get an indecent exposure ticket up here. Well, that is one of the things that's interesting about Brazil. There's all these little things that I'm learning, and I'm actually reading some other articles with, like, you can wear really, really tiny bikini strings. Like, Miami now is pretty similar. Maybe it's because Miami is one of the major places where Brazilians go to, uh, who have wealth, they'll go to Miami to live. That's one of the biggest populations. San Diego is also a large Brazilian population to go. So one of the things I've learned, though, is you can get arrested uh, in Brazil by being naked. So there is a limit to, you know, some of the things we think that Brazilians are more like, oh, they're okay with nudity. And there's still evangelicals here, unfortunately. Uh, that's one of the things, like, you know, I say is, like, I don't mind people being uh, moderate religion, but it's the evangelicals uh, are some of the scary stuff. So on here, which is something that most people have this idea of Brazil as not being, you know, this deeply fundamental religion, but it exists here too, unfortunately, oh, yeah. like it does in a lot of places. So now, now do they call the, the rule down there? Is it like the, the one string rule? As long as one string covers the butthole, then it's okay. It's not nude. Yeah, it's something like that. But <laughs> I was reading some things where you can't get arrested. Apparently even Sao Paulo, where I'm at, you have to, even your business job is more business formal. Like even in America, they've, they've laxed up a lot of our, you know, we can be more casual. But Rio uh, de Janeiro is more casual. I haven't been there yet, but I just spent time. I've got some stuff on Facebook, some pictures and stuff from there, which is really cool. Like I saw this famous church, and it does seem like one thing, common thread about homeless issues is I see that every city on the planet has a, a designated homeless area. And maybe it might be even shipping people outside this common area. I haven't been to China yet, but I'm curious. I actually was looking at maybe Alina and I might go to China and teach English. I was actually just talking nice. with somebody about that possibility. That would be an incredible thing to just kind of compare homelessness or you know people struggling. But what I'm seeing is, uh, like a lot of parts, there's a really wealthy area called Pinheiras, which I spent some time in Sao Paulo, which is where it's just like Beverly Hills, very wealthy. And I didn't see any homeless there, like people sleeping on the street or whatever. But when we were downtown, like the city center, the main old part of the original part of Sao Paulo, there were a lot of homeless people at the church, like just there and a lot of drugs and a lot of things that you see where people are just sleeping on the street. So it's just like Tijuana and like San Diego or a lot of other places I've been. So it's very similar. Like, there's this designated area where people know they can go and they'll be okay and if they just can sleep there or whatever. So it's just interesting. But one thing I've learned is for sure is that the programs in America, if you're homeless, are way better than what they have in other parts of the world. Uh, but you know, then it gets back to though the Netherlands and Norway and fin Finland, they usually don't have any nearly the homeless uh, that we have here in in America. Well, I say here, but you know, yeah. There, where you are. <laughs> and that makes sense. All right, Daniel. I think we're going to wrap this one up for you today. Where can everyone find you on any social media, any inters inter and I will say interwebs, any websites or anything for you that they can follow your actions and travels? Well, thanks for having me on. I want to say 
shout out for No Phony Podcast Network. Good to be working with all of them and and some great shows on there. Go check them out and share and all that. But it's uh, Daniel Roy Barron with one R. Uh, pretty much on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Those are the four main ones that and the uh, and where I really feel like the huge YouTube channel I'm really proud of is called Win uh, for News. If you just Google on YouTube or YouTube it. Win number four news and the website is win number four news.com. And you can also search Roy Dan Barron to find some old uh, episodes and also on iHeartRadio, it's Voices of Global Freedom. And uh, we'll have you on at some point in the future. We're trying to get the studio nice. set up here <laughs> in uh, the South Hockey. It's a nice area to stay. It's uh, you know, actually one thing that uh, the air is very clean here, which is really nice. It's even cleaner than San Diego, like because it's out more in the uh, it's in the countryside. So nice. it's been really nice to stay here, and I'm looking forward to doing a lot more interviews. I'm, I've got a huge number of people to get out there, uh, <laughs> get their voices out. So the idea is helping uh, struggling have-nots become thriving haves, and the idea is talk about things that nobody cares but should, like the Aerosmith song. So working on some <laughs> great things, and just did a, also trying to get a documentary going soon in Brazil. So I've been reaching out to people to film about the favelas, which means slum in Port and. Uh, we also have a Patreon uh, campaign on Patreon.com under Win for News, Win Number Four News, and it's a uh, like a dollar a month. You know, people want to donate or you know nice. to help it out, and we're looking to grow internationally and one day compete or even look at being as large as a CNN, a BBC, or a Vice News. Kind of combining all those ideas. And one last thing I talk about is that one unique thing is. We want to have a, a unique uh, product and service label based on uh, talk show interviews. So one of the unique things that we would do differently than none of these other uh, news media are doing right now is that you have to deserve it. Like, So if you do 20 interviews, let's say, if you're a business, a charity, or corporation, based on Six Sigma, ISO 9000, Project Management Professional, all these great quality things, if you live up to certain standards like a litmus test, like, for example, I believe every business should tell you how much profit they make when you're about to buy one of their products it should say like this business is going to make two dollars off your sale or five dollars or ten dollars that should be lit written on the label of the product things like that are really in, in fair trade that people aren't working for slave labor and so the idea would be if you have an archive of like 20 shows and you have to re-up your uh to get this label, you actually get a label on your product and service that would be called Win Number Four News, based on our, you know, and we'd have people in local languages talking about what do you do to qualify. So it, when you pass all these tests, you would get a label, and that label would go to the archive of let's say 20, 30, 40 uh, interviews that would step through an organization to say, okay, you are fair trade, you're not gouging people with your prices and everything, and so you deserve this. Things and and what I'd hope to see in the future, whether it's me or somebody else. So a lot of times I have given a lot of these ideas out there because I'm hoping some other people will run with them too and leave some kind of legacy. So so thank you, thank you, Herman. Appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. You guys have fun down there. Be safe and uh, hopefully everything works out and you guys can get back to wherever you need to get to. All right, thank you. All right, thanks, Andy. Have a good night. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode. Make sure to check out and follow Daniel Backpack Baron on Twitter, on his YouTube channel, 
or on the nophonynetwork.com. You can also find the rant on the nophonynetwork.com as well as thehermanjames.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, or you can shoot me a direct email at therantwithhermanjames at gmail.com. Can't wait to be in your ears till next week. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Love that about you. Can't wait to hear back from you.